You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? We are back here for another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, November 15th, 2000. And 21. We're back for another player breakdown as the uh, we'll address the rumors and the offseason speculation right out of the way here uh, in our first segment, but definitely not enough to take up a whole show or anything. No really crazy new developments since we last talked about them. But first, I got to thank you all for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. Okay. So the only other real development currently in the free agency frenzy, we'll call it a frenzy just for the alliteration, no other reason, just for the alliteration. Um, the, the only other thing we, uh, that, that really came up this past weekend was that Eduardo Rodriguez did decline his qualifying offer. So he will not be accepting the QO. Not that too many of those people will. Honestly, majority of teams offer qualifying offers to players that they know for a fact are not going to take them so they can get that extra pick at the end of the first round. Um, but that is, uh, that, is, that is something. We know that he's not going back to the Red Sox on a one-year deal. Now, the Red Sox have offered him a, a like real contract that's believed to be multi-years and, and such, so... Uh, until we get more information on that, we don't really know where his market sits, but we at least know that he has enough interest currently uh, that him and his agent are comfortable declining the QO and uh, declining the one-year 18 point whatever, two or 18.4 million dollar deal. So that is really the only update on the, the free agency front. Well, we have more confirmation from John Morosi that uh, the Tigers are, in fact, in contact with him. Uh, but there's a few other teams, the Red Sox, obviously. Um, us, the Blue Jays are in there. Uh, there's a few other teams, too, that I'm forgetting. But those seem to be the, the, the main players at the moment, at least as, as reported as the time of this recording. So that is your current uh, update on Tigers free agency frenzy and now we'll get into our player breakdown today's being Matthew Manning young pitcher for the Detroit Tigers former top 20 prospect in all of baseball uh, former how high did he get with the Tigers I guess probably like three right maybe two no three probably was his peak I'm trying to think of all the like with the drafts and the graduations and stuff all mixed in there. What his peak would have been? He he never would have been one. I don't think. I don't think he ever would have been one. But that that's neither here nor there. I'm not going to spend too much time <laughs> thinking on something that's pretty relevant at this point. Uh, one of the top prospects in all of baseball for the last several years. Uh, we've we've been told about his great curveball, solid fastball. Um, got drafted in 2016. It's already been that long, but he got drafted straight out of high school and uh, has, has worked and developed and tried to add new pitches and such. So, finally gets called up this season, uh, halfway through the season, a little before halfway through the season, I guess, 
in a uh, series against the Los Angeles Angels and stayed up for the remainder of the season. He did get sent down during the All-Star break, but that was just so that he could have a start in AAA and then come back up to the majors after the break and wasn't just going to sit there for a week and not do anything. So that's, you know, people freaked out when that happened. But but you can go check my receipts. I told everybody to calm down. You know, we, we, we know ball here. We know what's up. Uh, so his first season. In the majors, not not a full season, not a not a thirty start season or anything like that, but definitely enough starts to do a full uh, breakdown. He started eighteen games, so not a not a small sample size either. Got got enough pitching under his belt to, to really go in depth here. So we'll just take it as baseline stats here at the beginning. Uh, eighteen starts, eighty five innings, had a four and seven record, a six K per nine. A 3.4 walk per nine, uh, a home run per nine of 1.05. His ERA was 5.80. His FIP was 4.62. And his, this is where it gets interesting. This is again why why pitching war is weird, because fan graphs usually with hitters. I think I've said this before. I think I said it on the Casey Mize episode. Usually with hitters. Fangraphs war and baseball reference war are relatively close. Like you're within you're within reason. Reason that doesn't even make sense. You're within the same ballpark, no pun intended, with with the two of them, with their war. There's usually not too dramatic of a difference. Whereas with pitching war, fangraphs and baseball reference use vastly different formulas for that. So you're gonna see some dramatic differences here. This being a, a prime example, uh, Casey Mize was also one, but, but Fangraphs being another. Fangraphs war, Fangraphs being another, Matt Manning being, being another. Jeez, this has gotten off to a rocky start for me. I apologize. Fangraphs war has Matt Manning's season at a 0.9 war. So about one, about a win. Whereas baseball reference war, has him as a negative 0.4. You're talking about the difference between a negative half a win versus a a positive entire win. That is dramatically different. And one of the biggest reasons is because his FIP was so much lower than his ERA. And we've talked about FIP at length. We talked about it with Erod. We talked about it with uh, Manning, or with Mize and Scooble. We talked about it uh, in depth and, and kind of what it entails and such. But but that is the the biggest, one of the biggest, I should say, reasons in the difference between war because Fangraphs uh, weighs FIP and, and Sierra and a lot of like expected ERA type of stats into uh, their war, whereas baseball reference is a lot more based on uh, the actual results that are put up. So the 5.8 ERA is not going to look great on baseball reference, but the 4.62 FIP, while it's still not great, you know, he wasn't even worth a win, not, not, not horrible, right? Definitely not for a dude, man, this is, has nothing to do with his war, but, but definitely not for a dude in his first season in the majors okay 
The, the biggest thing, going back to the, the per nine numbers, 6K per nine is unbelievably low. And not only is it just on a base level for anybody in today's day and age of baseball, unbelievably low, but it's, it's even weirder seeing what his strikeout numbers were all throughout the minors, right? So in, in 2016, in rookie ball, his draft year, he had a 14.11K per nine, which is very, very impressive. Then in 2017, he had uh, nine starts in low single A and five starts in single A. And his K per nine in those was 9.72 and 13.25, respectively. Again, well over a strikeout in inning. Very, very solid. 2018, he spent time in single A, high single A, and double A. Made 11 starts in single A, had a 12.29K per nine. He made nine starts in high single A, had an 11.4. And then in his two starts in double A, he had an 11K per nine. In 2019, a full season of double A ball, he had a 9.97, just under that 10K per nine threshold. And then in 2021, in AAA, even though his ERA was eight, he had a 10K per nine. Okay. The thing about AAA that we also all have to remember is that they're still using the juice balls down there. I ask, you can listen to any interview I've had on this show with any of the prospects we've had the pleasure of bringing on. I I always ask, are people scared of AAA because they still use the juice balls? Everybody is well aware of this. His home run per nine in AAA this year was three. That is egregious. That is horrific. That's, That's... that's preposterously high, honestly. That, that's insane. His walk per nine was 2.78. He was literally giving up more home runs than he was walking hitters at, at a, on a per nine basis. That, that's asinine. So while it's, it's definitely not 100% due to uh, the, the juice balls down there, it's certainly a big factor that his home run per nine was, and he was giving up home runs like it was his job down there. Uh, but in 2021, in 18 starts in the major league level, he had a 1.05 home run per nine. That's honestly not bad. That's about that's around everybody else on the pitching staff. That that's that's again, it could be better, but it's not it's not horrible or it's not even bad really by by most approximations. That's that's. That's whatever. So the 6K per nine is super, super weird. He just did not have an ability to even induce whiffs. Swings and misses just didn't happen for Matt Manning this year. 3.48 walk per nine, not horrible. Could be better, right? Could could be better. And we'll get into uh, all of his you know comparison and his pitch types and all that. On the other side of the break, but first I got to tell you all about Direct TV streams. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbors, best friends, log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV 
together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It means no more juggling remotes. No need to buy a new device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter, the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. It's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies based on package. All right, everybody, we are back here for segment two of Locked on Tigers. Thanks for making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. All right, let's get into more of a, uh, a dive here on Matthew Manning, the, uh, the one of the, the three-headed monster of Mize, Manning, and Scuba that we've been hearing about for years now. So... We're going to look at his percentiles. We're not going to spend too much time on them because was we, I mean, his ERA was almost six. We know it's not going to be great, but there is some stuff to point out here. Okay, first off, barrel percentage, 48th percentile, not horrible, right? He did give up. He gave up a lot of hard hit line drives, certainly, right? G- gave up his fair share of, of hard hit balls. His average exit velocity was fourth percentile. Right, he gave up some 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 hard contact. His hard hit percentage was twenty third percentile, but getting a barrel, forty eighth percentile, uh, avoiding barrels is very important. It's one of the foundations of this current era of baseball that we are now in, and uh, in your in your first major league season, being right around that fifty percent mark for barrel percentage is not bad at all. Okay, his K percentage fourth percentile. His whiff percentage was the first percentile. That means 99% of baseball, 99% of pitchers in all of baseball were better than him at inducing a swing and a miss in any count. Okay, so that's, that's again, just driving the point home. That is very clearly his next step. Blatantly obvious what it is. Does not take a rocket scientist... I'm a dummy. I, I, I can look at this and figure it out. Does, does not take a, a, a super smart person to figure out that the, the biggest thing that he needs to work on is inducing swings and misses. Refinding that, that, that swing and miss stuff that he had throughout all levels of the minors. Well, he's proven he can do it professionally. And, and that is his next step is being able to do it at the major league level. Chase rate, 18th percentile. Again, not great. Interesting stuff here, though. His walk percentage, 46th percentile. Again, we, we looked at his walk per nine. We, we acknowledge that. Not, not bad. Room for improvement, certainly. Not horrible, though. Really not horrible at all. Fastball velocity in the 55th percentile. We know that he has the ability to bring heat. The velocity was also something that we should talk about for a little bit because that was a, a pretty highly talked about thing for Matt Manning this season. He he, uh, we were we were told that his fastball was was mid nineties, like on the upper end of mid nineties, like in that ninety five to ninety seven range, and then for most of the season he sat around like low nineties. He was in that 92, 93 mile an hour range. And we were like, all right, well, I mean, that's, you know, he's not pitching in the 80s, but like I, we all kind of assumed he would be pitching with a little bit higher velocity. But then toward the end of the season, especially in, uh, in, in mid and late September, 
he kind of caught a groove where he was like had the ability to pump 97 for an entire inning. We were like, oh, all right, well, this is kind of what we were told was going to happen, so that's nice to see. And we'll get into his uh, his you know month by month and situational stats in the final segment, but just something that was interesting. Fastball velocity will be something to definitely keep an eye on for Manning because it was really inconsistent this year, which is, again, rookie, first year in the majors, still only 23 years old. But it, but it's something that that we're gonna have to uh, to keep an eye on because it was kind of all over the place to be honest with you this past year. So those are the percentiles. Now let's take a look at his pitches. See how good his pitches does. His his pitches did rather. Uh, he threw recorded five different total pitches this season. His four seam fastball, his curveball that's been talked about since he was drafted, uh, his slider which has been a, a rather controversial pitch for him. His changeup, and then he had a sinker that that he uh, that he messed around with as well. So when looking at the effectiveness of each pitch, the curveball was the only plus pitch for him. It was the only pitch that had negative run value, which as a hitter, you want that to be positive, but as a pitcher, you obviously want it to be negative. So... The curveball was the only pitch that had a negative run value. It had a negative two run value. Um, the uh, total amount of pitches thrown, he thrown at 11.3% this past season. He was very four-seam heavy. As, I mean, if you watched any Matt Manning start, you don't need me telling you that. That was very blatantly obvious. When looking at his pitch types, he had 41.4% four-seam fastball. 19.4% sinker, 15.2% slider, 12.7% changeup, and then 11.3% curveball. Now, the the least thrown pitch percentage-wise was the most effective. So that's already kind of weird, right? We're looking at the stats against the curveball, 175 batting average comfortably, like by 100 points comfortably the lowest batting average against any of his five pitches uh slugging percentage was 425 which is still fairly high right you want that to be down a little bit hard hit percentage on the curveball was 33.3 percent and that was his lowest of any of the pitches so again you're gonna see a lot of hard hit balls here man the slugging percentage for for everything for Matt Manning is going to be pretty high. Very similar to Tarek Skubal. The only thing is Skubal was actually able to, to strike people out, whereas Matt Manning was, was not able to do that. So you're going to see a lot of high uh, a lot of high slugging percentage, so a lot of hard hit contact. Uh, the changeup had a 293 batting average against, a 488 slugging. The slider had a 371 batting average against, a 468 slugging, and a run value of plus 5, which is just brutal. The sinker, run value of plus 1, 274 batting average, almost a 480 slugging. And the four-seamer that he threw so much more, more than double any other pitch, had a run value of plus 3, a 266 batting average, a 406 slugging. So the, the one silver lining here, right, talking about positives and negatives, 
The one silver lining here is that his lowest slugging against was his four-seam fastball and was his most thrown pitch. That's at least something you can hang your hat on. While you would still like those numbers to be lower in a perfect world, having your 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 fastball, your go-to pitch, your, your four-seam fastball, just your traditional whatever, being your, your most effective pitch is something that, that you can at least take pride in and, and hang your hat on. The K percentage, uh, comfortably, the curveball was the best pitch, 24.4 K percentage on the curveball. Almost a quarter of, of his Ks. Um, the K percentage for the changeup was pretty much non-existent. Slider, 18.6%. Sinker, 10.8%. And four-seam, 16.2%. The put-away pitch, curveball, again, the, the most popular put-away pitch for him at 19.2%. Uh, the second highest was the slider at 188 Whiff percentage. The slider did have the highest whiff percentage at 22.9%. Over a fifth of his whiffs on the entire season were on the slider, and that was comfortably his least effective pitch. So really interesting kind of all over the board analytics because we have his his most effective swing and miss pitch was comfortably his worst pitch stats wise. The opponents had a 371 batting average on his slider. And yet it, it got more whiffs than any, any other pitch percentage wise. When looking at the pitches themselves and their movements and such, uh, the four-seam fastball is about on par with major leagues for, for vertical movement. It, it has a little less horizontal movement, so it's a, a pretty straight pitch, which I think is why one of the reasons why he may have had uh, a little bit of issues getting those swings and misses. Again, first percentile whiff percentage. So not a lot of swings and misses across the board. And I think having a, a again, the four-seamer, vertically is right on par with league average literally plus one percent above league average almost exactly the same but horizontally minus 60 percent break versus average that is dramatic that is unbelievable <laughs> anything over like 20 percent you're like damn like that's that's you know that moves a lot less than the league average four-seam fastball. And his is 60. That, that's pretty dramatic. So you're talking about a pitch that that does not move a lot horizontally, and it's a pretty straight pitch. And I think that's why it was was so easy to, to make, square up, A, because he did give up a lot of hard contact, but also one of the reasons why uh, he did not get very many swings and misses on it. The curveball was solid. It was a solid pitch, right? You're talking about a pitch that was, again, plus one vertically for for the average Major League curveball, and then only minus six for horizontal. So as you're talking about a, a pretty much, as a rookie, first stint in the majors, his curveball is already, when it comes to movement of the pitch, about on par with most Major League curveballs. Fine. We'll, we'll take that. The slider, minus 1% difference in vertical movement. So slightly under, but minus 1. If, if, you know, if you're within 1, that's we're just going to call that. We'll just round up and basically call that 
a, a league average vertical amount of movement on his slider, and then a plus 15% horizontally. So even though the slider got, got hit around the yard like crazy, this, this is showing you it has the potential to actually be a pretty effective pitch if he can, maybe maybe it's a pitch mix thing. Again, he, 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 maybe throw the pitch a little bit more, dog. You know, you, you don't, you don't got to only throw the four seamer. Maybe, maybe mix in some other stuff. So that that's, again, not a bad pitch. The changeup, which was a, a very controversial thing amongst the fan base and the organization, and it seems like Matt Manning, uh, a, a pitch that he has been trying to develop when it comes to vertical movement. It was 9% lower than league average and vertical, and then 14 percent below league average and horizontal so negative pretty comfortably negative in both not egregious and not something that's not fixable but again in his first stint something to take note of and then the sinker analytically in this regard was 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 pretty not great and there is some wiggle room here again because uh his four seamer does move vertically just naturally so it obviously, as we talked about, doesn't move too much horizontally, but just the way he throws his four seamer, there is a, a vertical movement. So his sinker having almost the same vertical movement as his four seam. When it comes to inches of drop, they're within two of each other, right? So so I think the that there is some kind of oh. Maybe the pitch is morphed into one kind of a thing than it is, oh, he has a sinker and he has a four seam. Those are completely separate pitches. He he might try to make them a little different. Maybe that's something he develops. But I also think for a young kid that sometimes pitches just mix, man. So And, and the numbers against the singer, sinker were not ridiculously horrible as we talked about uh, earlier. They were They were, you know... All of his numbers could be better, but relatively speaking, uh, not not the worst pitch in the world. Okay, so that is the uh, the the pitch by pitch breakdown and some of his his uh, percentile rankings and stuff. We will get into a quick little hit on his situational stats that we got in his first season. But first, I got to talk to y'all about Built Bar. Thanksgiving Built Bar. They go hand in hand. I love Thanksgiving. All the foods and treats, plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't full of all the calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie is upwards of 300 calories. That's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and have plenty of protein. So replace the coconut cream pie with a coconut Built Bar. Or go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of the raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any Pie, low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, covered in 100% real chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. And if Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar too. Share some of your family gatherings as well. It makes things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar. Get her on the wave. Get her on the wave. New surprises all month. Limited time flavors at Built.com regularly. So check the site often. There's also nothing like Bill Bar Black Friday. It's going to be crazy, absolute mayhem. So mark your calendars. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. 
All right, everybody, we are back here for our third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. We're going to make this one relatively quick um, because there's not a whole lot of situational stats that really jump out at you because he, he was, again, he almost had an ERA of six. There were most situations he was about the same across the board. Some things that I noticed, though. One, righties versus lefties. Matt Manning's a right-handed pitcher, and yet he did better, like comfortably, better against lefties than he did righties this season. Righties, the splits were a 301 batting average, a 301 batting average. All right-handed hitters he faced batted over 300 against him. That's not good. 364 on base percentage, 452 slugging. That's an 816 OPS for all right-handed hitters that faced him this season. Lefties has 757 OPS. That's weird, right? That's weird. He's a righty, but did better against lefties. That That's objectively a little weird. Did a little better at home versus on the road, but both ERAs are, are pretty high. He did have a better second half than a first half, but his first half was only five starts because he got called up uh, right what, about a month before the All-Star break? So that's not even really something to look at either. Uh, by months, his best month was comfortably July. He had an 8.16 ERA in June, a 5.23 in August, a 6.58 in September, but then a 4.07 in July. So that is uh, very comfortably his best month for whatever that's worth. Uh, wins his performances and wins versus losses. That's not really a fun stat for pitchers because like, obviously the pitcher does bad in losses and does good in wins. <laughs> so like in his four wins, he had a two, six, six ERA. And in his seven losses, he had a 10, three, eight ERA, I guess for whatever it's worth in his seven, no decisions, he had a three, seven, three ERA, which is solid. So if you're just looking at his wins and losses, which are 11 games, he had a pretty good ERA, right? You're talking about an ERA somewhere between 266 and 373 because those are the two numbers for wins and no decisions. But then in his seven losses, he was so bad that it inflated the ERA, right? His whip is also something. He had a, uh, His whip on the season was 1-5, which is high. That, that's, that's objectively high. But in wins, it was 1.09. That's good. That, that's not just solid. That That's good. That's a good whip. His whip in losses was almost two, which is horrible. And his whip in no decisions was one four. So that one makes a little more sense. You know, the best one being uh, in wins, second best being in no decisions, and the worst being in losses. That's fairly obvious. But it, it is interesting that the no decisions performances were a lot closer to the losses or sorry, we're a lot closer to the wins than they were the losses, which is somewhat encouraging at least. Um, another thing I found interesting was, and I don't even know what this really means, but in his performance based on his run support, okay, so when he had zero to two runs of run support, he had a 4.79 ERA. When the Tigers scored a three to five runs, he had a 4.89 ERA. And in six games where the Tigers scored six or more runs, he had a 7.96 ERA and only 11 total strikeouts. A two whip. When the Tigers gave him runs, he was at his worst. 
That's weird. That's just weird. Maybe it's like a foot off the gas pedal thing. Like, oh, I'm comfortable because I... But but he doesn't really seem like that. I don't know. I, I just thought that that was really weird. His performance against each batter in the lineup, uh, he like got blasted by people batting fifth all season. He, the, the fifth batter in the lineup had an 1,100 OPS against him. Uh, but like batting first, 735. Batting second, 780. Batting third, 634. Like he was good against uh, the people who bat third. Um, and, and like, ideally all these would be lower again. Like he, he did give up a lot of contact, but, um, I just found like fifth of all that. Like, again, that's just what I found weird. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. One encouraging thing. First batter of the games had a 444 OPS against him. That's obviously fantastic. Did not give up really only gave up four leadoff hits to start off games all year. And he started 18 games. It's pretty darn good. And they were all singles too. So, uh, well, you know, that that's something at least to build upon. He's, he's not putting himself in a hole earlier right off the bat. That That's at least something. Runners in scoring position. Opponents had a 709 OPS against him. That's not bad. Like, it, uh, ideally, you'd like that to be, a, like, better. But considering where all of his other stats are and considering the, the season that he had overall stats-wise, that's actually pretty impressive. Um, that that's something I would have expected to be a lot higher, given the fact that again he almost had a six ERA. That that's just something else I found interesting. But then with two outs and runners in scoring position, opponents had an eight sixty eight OPS. So I guess it was just a less than two outs risk thing. I don't know. The these numbers are are all over the place, man. Truly, there is there is a lot to digest here with Matthew Manning. He had a he had a really really interesting interesting is a stupid word. He had a really, really just weird season. Uh, for pitch count, this is something that is, is that I think is very important and I wanted to highlight. When he threw pitches 1 through 25 in a game, he had a 680 OPS against him. 247 batting average. From pitches 26 to 50, opponents had an 863 OPS and a slugging percentage of over 500. From pitches 51 to 75, OPS 804. And with pitches 76 to 100, OPS of 812. So from pitches 26 to 100, OPS of over 100, or 800, sorry. OPS of over 800 for all of them. But in pitches 1 through 25, so to start off games, he would start good and then just kind of burn out. That's something that is very developable. Developable. That's something that, that can very much be developed. Just go deeper and deeper into games to get more and more comfortable going deeper and deeper into games. And the last thing I want to highlight is his performances based on who was behind the plate. So when Jake Rogers was catching him, that was only three games, he had an 816 ERA. Not great, but to be fair to him, a lot of those were earlier in the season. And he got off to a really rough start. Eric Haas. Caught 10 games, more than any other catcher. Almost at, more than any other catch, all the other three catchers combined, actually. Jake Rogers caught three games. Griner caught two. Garneau caught four. So nine games of, amongst other people. And, and Eric Haas, 10. 41 innings. Had a 6.97 ERA with Eric Haas. 
behind the plate. 316 batting average and an 862 OPS. Now this is where things get weird. Grayson Griner, only two starts and only 11 innings, but a 245 ERA and a 645 opponent OPS. And then Dustin Garneau in four games, a 338 ERA and a 623 opponent OPS, the best of any of the four catchers. I just thought that was weird. Maybe maybe Garneau deserving a little credit there. We won't, won't have Drake Rodgers for all of next season. Eric Haas will inevitably be back. Tucker Barnhart will be awesome. An awesome catcher to give this entire staff. And I cannot wait to see what uh, he does specifically with Matt Manning. So that's the Matt Manning breakdown. Thanks for rocking with me. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Next, listen to Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Thank you, guys. I know this one was a little long. Thanks for listening, though. Thanks for putting up with me. I will catch you all tomorrow, probably with another player breakdown, unless any news breaks, but uh, it doesn't seem like we're really heading that way. Regardless, I'll be here tomorrow. Peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. I'll catch you all then. Go Tigers, baby.